What does this sound like to you? Go on, take a minute and guess. Does it sound like I'm grilling a cheeseburger? Because I am, kind of. What I'm making looks, smells, and tastes exactly like a hamburger patty, but it's actually made entirely from plants. It's called the Impossible Burger, and it's one of a few high-profile plant-based meats that have showed up on grocery store shelves and in fast food restaurants over the last several months. And now I'm trying to prep my vegan sausage. It's always very juicy coming out of its packaging. Yeah. That's my sister, Anna. Three years ago, Anna surprised my whole family by announcing she was going to go vegetarian. My second year of college, I had to take an ethics and values class and my ethics and values professor had a unit all about examining the ethics of how humans treat animals. And after learning about all of those different things, I just did not like the idea of eating meat as much. Vegetarians and vegans all seem to fit this stereotype, right? They love animals and don't want to eat them. When Anna told the family she was giving up meat, we all kind of thought the same thing. But last year, NASA engineer turned YouTuber Mark Rober made a video about the Impossible Burger. That's me, that's the richest man in the world, and that's the burger I just made him. That completely changed my perspective about what it means to be vegan and vegetarian. This is how I discovered the Impossible Burger and how I learned that going vegetarian or even fully vegan isn't really about the animals. It's about the humans. Meat is a complete protein. This is Eliza Dosh. My name is Eliza Dosh, and I help people find the diet that's best for them and for their body types and for their lifestyle. Before I learned what it takes to become vegan or vegetarian, I wanted to know why humans need to eat meat in the first place. Why do we eat meat? The, you know, probably biggest thing is that it is a complete protein on its own. So you don't have to pair it with anything else. Meat is mostly important because our bodies need protein. But what is protein? Well, to answer that, I'm going to take you back to your high school biology class for a minute. But don't panic. We're going to keep this simple. There's only a few things that I really remember from my high school biology class. One, the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. And two, protein isn't just something you put in your post-workout shake. Proteins are actually an essential building block of life. After water, proteins are the most abundant kind of molecule in our bodies. They make up not only our muscles, but also our hair, skin, internal organs, and even our blood cells. Meat contains all of the amino acids that we need for our bodies. Amino acids are the building blocks of proteins. The mitochondria I mentioned earlier, well, without amino acids, it can't be the powerhouse of the cell. To function properly, our bodies need 20 different amino acids. We naturally produce 11 of them, but there's nine that we can only get from food. So when Eliza says meat is a complete protein, she means that meat provides our bodies with all nine of those amino acids. But what if you don't want to eat meat? How do you get all nine of those amino acids? If you're eating a vegetarian diet, you kind of have to pair things together to make sure you're getting complete protein. So really good sources of protein that are vegan would be, you know, kind of in that beans and legumes family. So chickpeas, peanut butter, nuts are really good. And then having different 
vegetables along with them, you know, different things that are, you know, good fiber and lots of minerals. So beets, kale, lentils, pumpkin seeds, chia seeds, um, things like that. Basically, if you're going vegan or vegetarian, you don't just have to watch out for meat or other animal products in your food. You also have to figure out how you're going to replace them. I don't know if this is the hardest thing, but definitely the biggest change was how much I started making my own food, like cooking in general. This is my cousin, Lara. She decided to go vegan about three years ago. Like I had to learn a lot more about cooking because before I would like heat up chicken nuggets in the oven and eat a cucumber. You know what I mean? Like it was just the most basic whatever, like peanut butter jelly sandwich. Cooking for herself instead of relying on eating out or reheating frozen meals was a big transition for Lara. And she had a lot to learn at the beginning. It just wasn't really something that was part of my life. Um, Cause like growing up, you know, there were five of us kids in the house and my mom was never really, you know, Molly homemaker kind of person. It was like fish sticks and green beans out of the can, you know? So it was just never something that was part of my life before. So yeah, it was just a bit of a learning curve there. Even though learning to cook was a daunting task, Laura focused on taking small, consistent steps. I still do peanut butter jelly sandwiches, but uh, after it was very much more, okay, like committing to making a salad for lunch, like chopping vegetables and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then just learning about the substitutions I could use, just like learning a new vocabulary kind of, of the new staples I would keep in my kitchen and what I could do with them. Learning that new vocabulary paid off. Now I love to cook. Laura wasn't the only one I talked to who initially struggled with having to cook a lot of their own meals. Talia Ruth has been vegetarian for two years and still sometimes struggles with the limitations of her diet. I also deal with some depression um, and it's hard when you don't have the energy to get yourself to eat and when all the easiest things to eat like takeout they're mostly meat-based. So I think trying to balance my mental health with um, my dietary needs, I have had to keep like a supply of like, I need to know that there is something that I can handle making. But preparing her own food wasn't the only issue Talia faced. People would oftentimes try to shove their beliefs onto me, trying to change my mind without taking any time to understand why I've made the decisions I've made. And then, you know, to also realize my decisions don't affect them. It's not going to decide their future. I'm not forcing them to be a vegetarian. I'm not going to make them not eat bacon and chicken and hamburgers. I'm not going to stop them from doing that. So why did Talia make this decision? Why does anyone who decides to go vegan or vegetarian make that decision? Especially when meat is so central to American culture. Especially growing up in like a really like a rural like farming town, I very much had to downplay like the animal rights aspect of it because that was not an argument that would convince anybody. This is James Shepard. He's working on a PhD in rhetoric at the University of Knoxville, Tennessee. I've been vegan since March, 2017. Um, but before that I was vegetarian since June, 2008. Yeah, I've been, oh, my dog's coming in. <laughs> she can't handle when I'm on Zoom. James grew up in a town where most of his neighbors made a living by raising cows for dairy farms or beef. And he noticed that feeding those animals took a lot of resources. It was still ethical, but it was like a different kind of ethics. So like it was a human-centered ethics 
because I was able to recognize that currently we grow enough food to feed 10 billion people, but most of the world's crops are fed to livestock. That was the initial thing. It was like, holy cow, like the system for food is woefully inefficient. And so thinking about that in like the context of how many people in the world are hungry and malnourished, um, I was like, well, we're like, it's inefficient to be eating these animals when we can be instead feeding people, especially when a lot of the people who are um, like starving are in countries where their crops are grown to feed livestock that feeds people like in the developed world. So that was kind of the ethical like stance I was taking. It's like, oh, it's 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 for humans, right? Like if I'm eating less meat, basic law of supply and demand states that there's more excess grain or whatever whatever crop is being grown. That argument was enough to convince James to give up meat and become a vegetarian. But eventually he realized that just giving up meat wasn't going to be enough. So it's about like the difference between unavoidable harm and avoidable harm. For me, it was like, I have no right to inflict harm on anybody else. Like no right at all, whether that's a human being or a bug or my dog or a cow. Um, and beyond that, I have no right to pay someone to inflict harm on another being. Like that's even worse to me. <laughs> James explained to me that being vegan is more than just a diet. Veganism is about ending the exploitation of animals. It's about doing your best to do no harm to any living thing. But that isn't always what he'll tell people at first. And that's the thing, like when I was vegetarian, like just vegetarian, I had a canned response, right? When people were like, why are you vegetarian? I'd be like, well, here's the whole, like, and I was like, that's just gonna convince people that like, okay, I've thought it through, but that's not gonna get them to think about it. Because for me as like a, as an ethical vegan with the goal of like ending all exploitation to non-human animals, whatever gets them to listen is the way that you should explain it to them. Which brings me back to the Impossible Burger. Remember that Mark Rober video I talked about earlier? All right, this cuts and feels exactly like a real burger. Animal exploitation wasn't his main pitch for why we need to eat less meat. Instead, he looked at the environmental impacts of farming animals and what he shared astonished me. It takes an incredible amount of resources to produce the steak I love ordering at Texas Roadhouse. For every one calorie I get from that steak, the cow it came from had to consume eight calories. That eight to one ratio means the cattle industry requires huge swaths of land and millions of gallons of water while producing more greenhouse gases than every car, truck, plane, train, and boat on earth combined. That's right, cow farts are one of the biggest reasons the planet is heating up. This is how Impossible Foods markets all of their products. You won't see any arguments about treating animals fairly. Instead, the Impossible Foods sales pitch is about saving the world. And it's a sales pitch that impressed me enough to finally take my sister's vegetarian diet seriously instead of rolling my eyes whenever it came up. I even asked her what advice she would give me if I decided I wanted to be vegetarian. I knew that having a change that was so sudden was not going to be sustainable for me. I knew that if I wanted to try not eating meat, I needed to just take baby steps. And as I've lived as a vegetarian for longer, I've seen the appeal more and more of just going completely vegan and plant-based. While I might not be a vegan or vegetarian yet, the conversations I've had with these people have convinced me that a vegan lifestyle might actually be something I might start adopting. Not because I don't want to eat animals, but because I want to do something that might actually make the world around me a better place. And thanks to products like the Impossible Burger, I might not even have to give up cheeseburgers to do it. If there's ever a time to become a vegetarian, I think now's a good time because I don't think they had the options we have now, like 10 years ago, five years ago. It's possible, it's doable, and there are alternatives. Restaurants have become a lot more accommodating, and 
just general food production has become a lot more accommodating. And so, you know, it's not a struggle for me to go out to a restaurant with friends and find something I can eat. Or, you know, it's not awkward for me to trying to find a meal that I can cook with my friends that's plant-based. It's a lot more attainable now. That's why I tell people, it's like, I'm not expecting you to like go 100%, like go vegetarian, like go pescatarian, like whatever you can do, just little changes can make all the difference. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about The Impossible Burger, visit impossiblefoods.com. Thank you to Mark Rober for introducing me to The Impossible Burger. And a very special thank you to Anna Gibb, Eliza Dosh, Laura Jackson, Taylor Ruth, and James Shepard. Music for this podcast was produced by Purple Cat and ESCP through freestockmusic.com.